Thanks for joining me, Pete Holtzman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Dan Rossetti, president of Ascension Sports Partners. Dan works to get people jobs within the sports industry. That includes placement services, where he will handle all or part of the recruitment for companies, but he's also started to do more work with job seekers through career coaching, something he feels is similar to having a personal trainer. When you go into the gym that first time, <laughs> January 1st, and you see people there who you can tell don't know where to start. Like they don't even know where to begin. They're looking at the the treadmills. They're looking at elliptical machines. They're looking at the strength training material, you know, equipment, and they're trying to figure it out. The same thing holds true to, to career coaching. Throughout this episode, Dan shares tips on many aspects of the job search process, starting with your resume. They will look at your resume for about seven to 10 seconds and decide whether they want to put you in the yes pile or the no pile. So you've got to bring it enough that they are intrigued enough to put you in the yes pile. And if you don't, then you need to take a look at what you maybe need to do to get it into that yes pile. He also feels the cover letter is a chance to show more creativity and sell yourself. Why you're the aspirin to somebody's pain. You know, why are you the right person to help fix a problem? And the cover letter allows you to kind of branch that out um, to be able to do that. Dan also shares tips on networking and the value he places on it. That's why I've told candidates you've got to stay in touch with people and, and just have these conversations because when you network with someone, you're essentially doing an informal interview. Even if you are not currently looking for a job, there are many valuable insights from Dan in this episode. Before we get started, please take a moment to follow Credentials Only on social media. And if you would, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. If you want to network with us, Credentials Only is on social media and on our website, you can sign up for our mailing list. If you have the chance, please leave us a rating and review wherever you are listening. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dan Rossetti. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. This is a podcast about careers in sports, and you've actually made a career in sports working to fit people with the right career in sports. What's the elevator pitch for the services that Ascension Sports Partners offers? Yeah, no, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on today, Pete. Um, so Ascension Sports Partners was founded back in, initially in 2008 with the belief that um, a candidate or an individual didn't necessarily have to have a seat at the executive table to receive high-end quality career search services. And that goes for the teams as well as the candidates, because traditionally, when you think of retained executive search, you think of really high-end, you think of C-level positions, you think of the, the real top positions within an organization. Um, however, sometimes the positions that are kind of in that middle range, um, you know, director level, VP level, manager level, senior manager level, sometimes they're even harder than the one, you know, harder to fill than the ones that are at the top. So I created this business uh, to kind of focus within that as well as it spun into some other some other facets uh, within uh, th within career coaching, interview preparation services, uh, and so forth within professional sports entertainment. But at the end of the day, we are a retained search business that focuses within all the leagues uh, and all the properties in, uh, in sports and entertainment, providing uh, recruiting services to those organizations that are having a hard time fill a position or ultimately just want a broader pool, a more diverse pool of candidates to take a look at than just throwing a posting up on LinkedIn about their opportunity that they have. Uh, I've been in the industry. I've been fortunate. I've been in the industry for about uh, 16 and a half years now. 
And, you know, I've, I've loved every minute of, of working within this industry uh, with of great professionals and people who really look out for one another and really want to see others succeed. Uh, but the, uh, you know, in, after, after 2020 and, and, and COVID and the pandemic hit, as you can imagine, a number of uh, people were, were unfortunately caught up in, in furloughs and, and layoffs. And that's where my business spun a little bit from focusing exclusively within retained search services to uh, a career coaching element um, in really helping individuals. Because as you can imagine, there were a lot of people for the first time in a long time, they had, they, they had to look for a job. They had to actually dust off the resume. They had to dust off their networking skills. They had to, you know, they had to get prepared for interviews again because they just, they hadn't been. They were happy in their positions and unfortunately were caught up in a situation that was out of their control in most instances. So, you know, the career coaching services that I, you know, line of business that I created has been, uh, has been steady and has been successful. And, um, you know, and that goes across the board from, you know, people who are 10, 15 year executives within the industry to, entry-level college students that are looking to maybe find that first opportunity within the industry as well. I want to start talking about that coaching piece. And there's actually a, a testimonial on your website and it says, I always laughed to myself that I knew how to fill a building with 17,159 fans, but I didn't know how to write a resume or how to use LinkedIn. <laughs> it, so it, you're really getting in the weeds with, with some of these people as you help them and I think in particular in this instance where the, there is kind of this sudden end because of what's happened with COVID. So what are the first steps, whether it is that college graduate or someone who has been in the industry for a couple decades, who's now having to go find something different? What are the first steps in that relationship with you? You know, it's funny. I, I make the analogy a lot of times, Pete, with um, personal training. And, you know, as you look at career coaching, you look at personal trainers, you look at people and a lot of the reasons that you would engage a personal trainer are very similar to why you would engage a, a career coach. Um, the first being um, it's your first time in a long time, like, you know, like the testimonial mentions, it's the first time in a long time that you've had to do this. It's like when you go into the gym that first time at <laughs> January 1st and you see people there who you can tell don't know where to start. Like they don't even know where to begin. They're looking at the, the treadmills. They're looking at elliptical machines. They're looking at the strength training material, you know, equipment, and they're trying to figure it out. The same thing holds true to, to career coaching of, gosh, I, I don't, I don't know how to even write a resume nowadays. What's, you know, what resumes uh, attract, you know, recruiters and attract uh, hiring professionals now with language. Cause it has changed, you know, the resume you wrote maybe 10 years ago to get the last job you had, probably isn't the one that's going to get you hired or looked at as much today. So, you know, there's that reason. Um, the next thing is that, you know, Hey, I've been, um, I've been trying to do this for a while and uh, I'm just not seeing the results. You know I mean? Like, Hey, you go to the gym and, you know, I'm trying to lose an extra 10 pounds, which is probably true for me as well. Um, but you know, I'm not seeing the results in my search efforts or in my training efforts and I need someone to help me. I need someone to kind of push me over the line uh, of, hey, you might want to mix it up. I know you've been doing cardio nonstop. Um, you know, you may want to switch it up and do some more strength training. Same thing with career coaching. Hey, I know you've been, you know, combing the job boards, working sports, teamwork online, LinkedIn, and you're applying randomly to all these jobs that are out there. Maybe there's an opportunity. To let's let's focus those efforts and let's try something a little bit different of working through your network or targeting certain companies that you want to go after first. Um, you know, thirdly, there's you know sometimes you just need accountability and motivation. 
It's one of the reasons people sometimes use trainers because they just need that person to, gosh, I know I'm, they're going to get mad at me if they know I, I, you know, I, I cheated on my food this week, or I cheated on my workout this week. They're going to know that same thing with a career coach. Hey, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, the clients that I've worked with so far, I'm holding them accountable and saying, all right, you put down, uh, you know, these three companies and that you were going to reach out to these three teams. Who did you reach out to? What did they say? How did you respond? You know, and I'm going to put, the, you know, I'm going to hold them to the fire a little bit to make sure that they are putting in the effort to better position them for roles that come up. And then lastly, um, you know, it's just, it's just, they just, you know, they just need support. You know what I mean? Like they just, they just overall, they just need some overall, just general support of, Hey, again, you're not alone in this, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the things that you're doing, Believe me, you know, you take solace in the fact, I know you're not getting maybe some of the results that you're looking for, but take solace in the fact of you're not alone. This is a long, you know, this is a long game. It's very rare for you to go, okay, I have to look for a job. I apply for the first job that I apply for. I get interviewed right away and I get that offer. It just it rarely happens. So you've got to be prepared to just, there are many ups and downs that come along with it. So, um, you know, the things we talk about just, you know, in general with our job or with our career coaching services are just, job search strategy, you know, resume review and consultation, LinkedIn profile review and consultation, uh, networking tips and suggestions, um, company and market research, salary negotiations, and, and it just kind of goes on from there. And I want to talk a little bit more about some of those in particular. Yeah. And when you start with the resume piece, and I think there's a, a, a lot of people I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'm guilty of this as well. Hey, I got a decent job. All right. That resume is on the bin and I'm not going to think about it until something bad happens or I get unhappy with the job. Would you recommend that people keep that pretty fresh just so it is kind of always there and available as a what if, whether some great job opens or something bad happens to your current situation? Absolutely. hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And I tell my, I, I tell clients and I, I tell people that I just know in the industries we're having phone calls. I always suggest to them, always up your, uh, always update your resume or CV once a year, just always once a year, write down and make any updates that may come along. If you don't want to update your resume, I suggest, you know, Google docs are great because it's served on the cloud, but just write a document and just write down successes and different things as they come up, it's no different than like when they, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you have that an idea that you dreamt about overnight, you, you know, they always, you know, suggest to you write it down immediately because you know what? We always tell ourselves, I'll remember that later on. I'll remember exactly what I did. I'll remember that, you know, how that, you know, how that, how that played out to where we brought on a new partner and how that activation went and how the, how the project went that, you know, increased our attendance and, you know, and working with the marketing team and the different, you know, the communication, the PR strategy, I'll remember that down the road. And chances are we're all getting older. You're probably not. So you might as well reach down. Cause I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to candidates that sit there and, and they do take the approach of reactive and they haven't updated the resume and they're struggling to remember. I mean, they're struggling to remember going, I know I did a lot of great things, but I can't remember exactly the inner workings because it's good to stay refreshed, not only for your resume, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but when you start interviewing, you're gonna, they're not gonna just go, you know, the, the hiring organization's not gonna say, oh, I saw that on your resume and just take it 100% true and that's it. They're not gonna ask you any questions about it. They're gonna want to know the, you know, the details of how did that deal come apart? What, you know, come about? What was your part in that, you know, in that deal? How did that play out? You know I mean, like those are things that 
if you think about it, write it down. I mean, and it's okay to have a, do, you know, a, a running document that just, you keep, you keep fresh throughout the year. But yeah, I always recommend at least once a year updating it just because it is, it's harder and harder to remember the little things sometimes of what you do throughout the year that when that time comes and you do need to send a resume, you've got something already in front of you. I don't want to give away all of your tips, but I will ask you one specific question on the resumes. And I find it interesting. You talk about writing down your successes Uh, for me. And I think for a lot of people from some of the job searches I've been a part of, you know, resumes are kind of just a tick list of like, okay, the roles that I've had. But when you say writing down successes, should a resume be a little bit more narrative than the list? So, that's a great question, uh, Pete. You know, and I would tell you that I agree with your, 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 your statement that says, look, a resume, I always tell candidates, look, a resume is not getting you hired. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting hired just off your resume. And if you are, then you already had the job lined up to begin with and they just needed something formal, uh, more of a formality. But a resume is just an opening discussion to talk about Dan Rosetti. You know what I mean? To open up the, so that a hiring organization looks at what Dan Rossetti brings to the company that is different than everybody else. You know, I mean, it is literally just a kind of a, you know, you kind of look at it, it's like the, the crib notes or it's kind of the, um, you know, the old, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the old books, the, the yellow books about um, in high school. The cliff, notes. In cliff notes. It's the cliff notes version of, <laughs> um, you know, of Dan Rossetti. And you want to intrigue them enough to where they want to have that conversation to delve more into your background. So as far as it being narrative, do I think, you know, I think it's probably a happy medium between the two. Do I think you need to go into a full uh, diatribe about, you know, how a project worked out over, you know, a, a paragraph long or two paragraphs long? No, probably not. But what you do need to do is entice them enough to where they sit there and say, huh, I want to, I want to hear more about this. Like, and I'm going to put Dan Rossetti over into, into a good pile. Um, I always tell, you know, college students, you know, getting into the industry that most search executives, most HR professionals, and I still think this holds true today, but this was a number from about five, seven years ago that I always use still today, which is probably you could add a little bit, but they will look at your resume for about seven to 10 seconds and decide whether they want to put you in, the yes pile or the no pile. So you've got to you've got to bring it enough that they are intrigued enough to put you in the yes pile. And if you don't, then you need to take a look at what you maybe need to do to get it into that yes pile. But usually create, you know, creativity, I always, I always defer to cover letters, Pete. You know, I mean, if, as far as that's where you can tell a little bit more of your story. Um, I was never, it's funny because. I used to be very, not anti-cover letter, but it's just my role and what I do for my job, I don't have time to read cover letters. As much as I would love to read cover letters, I just don't have the time. Um, but I know a lot of people love cover letters because that's where, your, that's, that's where your creativity comes out. And that's where you really can sell yourself if you have skills that aren't tangibly cross over to the role that you're applying for that you can sell yourself of. Why and I, I use this I use this phrase a lot. I read it in an article about two months ago of why you're the aspirin to somebody's pain. You know why are you the right person to help fix a problem? And the cover letter allows you to kind of branch that out um, to be able to do that. Now, with that being said, um, you know resumes are, are are funny. You know just because again it goes back to you know look one resume is not just going to get you hired off the resume, but 
Um, I have a lot of people ask me, Pete, you know, should I just write one resume and have it, you know, kind of a blanket resume for everything? And um, absolutely not. I mean, you should have a couple different versions of your resume, depending on what you're applying for. Um, you know, there are people who have, um, you know, skills in a couple different, you know, areas, whether it be marketing, communication, sales, leadership, uh, you know, operations, you know, and you may find yourself in a role where they're looking for a marketing leader. Okay, well, your resume needs to reflect more of a leadership kind of feel to it versus necessarily what your branding and marketing campaigns were. It's important, but you need to kind of highlight a little bit more of your leadership strengths versus maybe they really just want to see someone who's a great sales executive. They, I just need a seller. I just need someone who can come in and sell. Okay, well, you better make sure that you've got numbers. You better make sure that you talk about the revenue goals, where you lay, you know, where you line up as far as uh, in the department. Are you in the top ten percent? Are you in the, you know, number one or two? Or are you, you know, I mean, and so forth. Um, so you want to adjust your resume. And the job position gives you. It's like an open book test. Like it gives you all the information that they're looking for most times. Like they're not hiding things from not being on the, on the, the position description. So your resume better reflect the key points that they're looking for. Those top three or four criteria that they're looking for in the job description, you better make sure you have it. And if you don't, the, you know, entail your resume tour. And if you don't, then that's where you need to start thinking creatively about, okay, I need to figure out how I apply my skills that I have and can prove to them that I'm able to come in and do this job. Okay, so customize your resume, but there's kind of the baseline resume. Do you then just cut and paste that baseline resume onto LinkedIn and poof, you're done on LinkedIn? <laughs> I see that a lot. And, uh, you know, the best answer is no. I mean, you really want to kind of make, you know, LinkedIn is a great place to make like a working resume, you know, I mean, it is a great place to highlight uh, your uh, your uh, accomplishments. If you're a marketing person, you can highlight. It's like it's you know how I liken it now is it's like your portfolio. You know, back in the day, you used to have a a, a ready a ready to go marketing portfolio that you would send in addition to your resume. LinkedIn kind of gives you that now, and fair or unfair. People are looking at your LinkedIn. As soon as you apply for a job, you network with someone, you make an interesting comment somewhere, people are going to your LinkedIn profile first uh, in the business world. You know, I mean, like that is where they're going to kind of take a quick look and go, okay, this is what Dan Rossetti is all about. And they may be intrigued by, oh, okay, well, he spoke at a conference. Oh, let me click on a, you know, you can put a quick video link. You can put an article that's linked to it. You can put your work there that essentially is your resume portfolio, kind of a number of different things tied into one. But no, I mean, I, I you again, you want to give them enough of a taste to where they want to learn more about you versus just cut and paste to what your resume is. How important is it to then stay active on the platform? I, I mean, I'm a little biased just because that is the bulk of what I do, you know, and there's a lot of people out there who aren't as high on LinkedIn as, as I am, but I, I do truly believe that, you know, being active on LinkedIn is still for a lot of the executives that are out there. They're not, you know, some, some of the non hip ones or some of the ones that aren't, you know, in the, the social media know as much, they still go to LinkedIn. Like that is the de facto that they go to. So you want to make sure that your presence is, 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 is recognized on there, but it's not just as simple anymore of just making a great profile. 
Like you need to interact and you need to find ways to interact within your communities, within your sports and entertainment communities. And I always suggest this to people of when you read great articles, share them with your network, you know, put it out there on LinkedIn or, you know, put it out there on your social media. If you see a post that someone runs and I try and, you know, I don't make it all the time, but there's, there are times when I make a very open-ended question on my LinkedIn post and I'm looking for people to start answering it, you know I mean? And chiming in with their thoughts on, on a topic. And there are plenty of those, whether it's marketing, sales, communications, PR, you start kind of, this is an informal way in a very cheap way to kind of brand yourself as, not an expert, but brand yourself as someone that if you make a great comment, they're going to want to hear more. Like, you know, someone's going to want to click on it and talk with you and maybe pick your brain or maybe invite you on a panel discussion. And it kind of dovetails into um, what I'm, I'm most key on in your career search and most about somebody, which is relevance. It's all about building your brand relevance as it, you know, I mean, market, sometimes I talk to the greatest marketers, of a product or a property, they are not the greatest marketers of themselves. They miss branding 101 on themselves. And it is, you know, again, you hope, and I think we're all naive, and and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, you hope that your work speaks for itself. And in a lot of instances, it does. But I'm not going to lie that sometimes the one who gets picked is the one who people just know about. And the one who people look and go, you know what? that person's killing it on Twitter or they're making some great comments or I've seen their, you know, their, their likes on this post that they made, you know what I mean? Like that is attractive to certain organizations when they see that. That is, which is really about uh, networking when mm-hmm. you get down to it, that's all about building your network. And uh, uh, the pandemic has certainly forced that digital networking to be even more important. But even before that, that was probably valuable to a lot of people, especially those who are coming up because you're not necessarily going to be able to afford the ticket to go to the big conference and where their networking events caked in, that might be an exclusive group that you're not able to be a part of. So how do you view networking now, especially post pandemic for people to broaden this set of eyes on them and their own personal brand? Yeah, no, um, that's a great question. And I think the pandemic, uh, what I, what I love about our industry is when the pandemic hit, you saw, which was, you know, sometimes a detriment to what I do, but it was great to see it circled around. Everybody was willing to help everybody. Like, I mean, there was not an individual within our industry that wasn't willing to say, look, if you're in a tough spot, I'm happy, I'm open to network, you know, whatever the the hashtag now on LinkedIn, open to network or open to, you know, open to, you know, open to jobs or, you know, what open to careers, Um, you know, I think it proved and it opened up an opportunity for individuals to make it easier to just pick up the phone and just have those conversations and just start talking um, about your situation. Um, you know, I recommended to, to individuals, hey, look, if you are in a sales capacity at a team and you got furloughed, you know what? You pick up the phone and you talk to other individuals at other teams that may be still there and say, hey, look, we were caught up. Um, I'd love to pick your brain on how your team and your organization is dealing with the pandemic. What are you guys doing? What is, what is your organization doing during this time? And you just, you found response. I would, I'd be curious one day if there were, you know, I don't think anybody ever tracked it, although we're all turning into data and analytics is um, what the risk, what the response rate was of people's 
networking introduction requests. You know what I mean? Of people being willing to talk with you because if it's, I got the sense that, I mean, it was probably 80, you know, 70 to 80%. Like I think most people, but what you had to do is you had to reach out. I mean, like, you know, nobody was going to come to you. You have to take the proactive stance of reaching out to maybe individuals that you don't know and just introduce yourself and, Hey, I'm, I'm Dan Rossetti. You know, I'm, I, I used to work over at XYZ team. Um, you know, I was caught up in the pandemic. I've always been intrigued by what your organization has done, what your team has done. I'd love to pick your brain as I look to grow my network within the industry and, you know, and, and, and learn a little bit more. And, you know, at the end of the day, just, you're another, you know, you're another person I've gotten to know, and maybe there's a way to, to help you out in the future as well. I mean, that's one of the key things with networking that I think a lot of people always forget is, you know, we are a very giving industry until you become the person that always asks for things and never offers to give things. Um, so always when you're networking, reaching out to, to someone, you know, don't forget to ask at the end. I know, you know, when I, when I network and I talk to some people that I look deep down, I know I can't help them as much as other people might be able to, but I'm still going to make the ask. I'm still going to tell them. And it's true. Look, look, is there anything I can do for you or someone in your network? Um, but I mean, it is as simple as in, you know, in most times you're going to get a response of, yeah, I'm happy to connect with you. I'm a little tied up right now, but please follow up with me in a couple of weeks or, you know, I mean, things like that. And then it's on you to then follow up and, and ask. So that's probably the, the, the simplest way to, you know, hopefully I answered your question with that of, you know, the simplest way to, to try and go about networking, uh, you know, and getting, getting your name out there. And then, then it's just, like I said, of just kind of working within your network and, and keeping in touch and just kind of following up. And, um, you know, as it relates to relevance, you know, I always, you know, I, I, I joke with candidates, but not really of look at the end of the day, you need to be in that three to five names that your network thinks of when a recruiter, Dan Rossetti calls them to say, do you know any VPs of marketing that might be a good fit for this job? So what are you doing to, to, to network and stay top of mind within your network? One of my coaching client, uh, coaching clients, he has a great idea and I, and I, I second it completely is he sends articles that he reads uh, and comes across that typically are outside of sports um, that might be applicable, uh, you know, whether it's on, you know, Forbes or fast company, or it's just, is an interesting article as it relates to just business in general or marketing, maybe a healthcare company is doing and say, Hey, I came across this article. I thought it was fascinating. I thought, you know, I'd love to share it with you and see if you take, you know, take anything away with it. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to remember those people. And that's, that's what networking is about is just, is just keeping top of mind and, and checking in and not being, you know, not being the person that just asks when you need something, as opposed to the person that just checks in and uh, just to see how you're doing. And you mentioned relevance and you'd have to prepare a little bit to strike the relevant tone with whoever you might be networking to that is similar to the preparation that you would probably take to an interview. And I know interview prep is part of what you do, but you also talk about interview practice. How important is that piece of it for the job seeker? Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those skills that a lot of us take for granted that I'm going to be ready for an interview. You know what I mean? Like I, I I've done the job. I, I kind of do some basic homework, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wing it. You know, I, I'll be good. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and they tell you the great salespeople don't wing it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you hear the stories every once in a while, Pete, of, you know, someone who had some success of just kind of going off the, the cuff or, you know, kind of flying by the seat of the pants. But I would say the majority of people who are successful in sales 
they prepare for every meeting they've got, every phone call. They know what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. And they're going to prepare for any objections or, you know, counters to anything that they, they make, they make, you know, coming across in the conversation. Interviewing is no different. You know, I mean, it's no different in a skill that you need to prepare accordingly for, you know, for the questions that you're probably going to get asked. I mean, and, and again, most times, I mean, they may throw a curveball question in here and there and in a conversation, but most times you can prepare for what they're going to ask you because you know, and you should be doing your due diligence. It's a whole other conversation of the homework you need to do prior to, 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 you know, to your interview. But, um, you know, you should be as prepared as you can to talk about your greatest strengths, your greatest accomplishments. Why was it a great accomplishment? What was maybe a, you know, maybe your biggest disappointment in, a, in your latest role? Why was that? What was your part of that? How did you overcome that? Like, you, you know, there's enough, there's enough articles out there that you should be prepared for that. So that it's, it's like Google to where, you know, as I tell college students and, and professionals of, you have no excuse anymore to not know everything you need to know about the organization and the person you're interviewing with. I mean, you certainly don't want to become a stalker so that you know really everything that they do, but like you should know where that, you know, where, how long that person's been there, what the team has been doing or what the company has been doing, what are their latest successes you know, and, and, and calling around to your network to find out about that company before. And like, you've got no excuse anymore for that. And the interviews the same way. I mean, like you've got no excuse to be prepared for some of the, the questions may come up. But one of the biggest things that I've, I've noticed and that I've found is that sometimes people forget to nail the layup questions is what I call it, is just nailing the layup questions. Tell me about yourself. Why are you interested in this job? You know, why do you think you're a good fit for this role? Tell me about your greatest strength. Tell me about your greatest weakness. I mean, like just the basic questions that really don't have anything to do with the specific job, but they just want to get to know you better because still at the end of the day, they need someone who can do the job, but they also being in sports entertainment, they're working with someone a lot of hours. And you know, this, when you work with an organization is you're spending a lot of time with these people. They've got to make sure that a person is a cultural match. So you've got to just make sure that you, you just nail those basic questions because otherwise it doesn't matter on the other end because if, if you, you kind of, you know, fumble your way through why you're interested in the job, I don't know. I just, I felt like, you know, I, I felt like it was a, you know, a unique opportunity. I've always been a fan of this team or this organization and that's it. Well, then you're not going to make it any further than the first round. You're going to get automatically knocked out. So. Is interviewing significantly different now in this pandemic era when a lot of it's happening virtually instead of in person? Yeah, you know, I think it, it has because it, it's put the onus back on individuals to, you know, kind of get better about how they prepare over camera, you know, in person, even for 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 initial screening uh, calls, because in the past, you used to be able to, you know, when you were on the phone, you could, you know, you could still have a lot of notes and you could be doing a lot of different things. Um, you know, I don't want to say that that's kind of thrown out the window because there's still ways you can do that while you're even on a call. But for the most part, you need to be prepared. I mean, like they want to see you in person and it gives them that kind of like, it eliminates that first and second step in the first step. You know what I mean? Cause now you're having a initial conversation over the phone so they can see you and they can mm -hmm. see how you come across in person as opposed to, uh, I, I can, I can honestly tell you, there are many times that I've had conversations in, you know, you know, in 2005, 2007, 2009, that I would have a great conversation with somebody over the phone I meet them in person or I have a conversation with them in person. And I'm like, 
they're not what I thought they were going to be. You know what I mean? Like they just weren't as impressive. So you just have to be buttoned up and prepared for those things. But no, Zoom calls, you know, Microsoft Teams, Google Meet, you know, those things are becoming more prevalent just because again, it eliminates steps. It just, it makes it, it, it makes the process a little bit smoother and a little bit faster. Um, but how you prepare for it, you know, I, I, I advise my, you know, I advise my clients and people I speak with that, you know, you want to go into the, the interview over a phone like you were in person. Like you want to be prepared and dressed like you would be that you were going to be meeting this person, in, you know, in person. Um, you know, wear a, wear a suit, wear a tie, wear, you know, I mean, just get yourself mentally prepared because again, you, you just, you feel better. Even though times are changing as far as culture is concerned, you just, you, you go into a prepare the way you need to be. At least suit up top, shorts down below, totally fine, right? Absolutely. I, uh, I'm the same way right now. So <laughs> the other piece of the services is the, the landmine question. I think for a lot of people that they don't even know where to wrap their head around, start wrapping their head around this, this salary negotiations. And even in that, sometimes in that initial phone conversation, what's the salary range you're looking for? Yeah. Such so, a hard topic for people. It is. And it, and it, I think we make it harder than we need to be you know, then it needs to be. Um, but I would tell you that times are changing. Uh, there's, I forget how many states there are now, but it's more than 10, less than 20, but or, I, mean, I think it's less than 20. Um, but the number of states that can't ask you what you're, what you made, you know, in the past, like they, they can't ask you what your current compensation is. Um, it's just illegal for them to ask you that. Um, you know, there are companies that are getting better with just sharing that information from the get go. Because look, we're getting busier and busier. I don't, I, and I'm that way. Look, I don't want to waste everybody's time. Not only your time, I don't want to waste my time. So right. I typically am like, look, this is where the client is coming in. Um, are you comfortable with that? And if not, then I will ask them, you know, what, what's your, you know, what is your expected compensation? Like, what are you, what are you targeting for your compensation? And what I always advise my clients to do is to put together a number that you are comfortable with that if they were to ask you that, then you would say, yes, I want to, you know, I mean, like if they say, okay, we're good with that. Then, you know, if they, if they say, what's the, what's the number? And you say, you know, I really need to be at a base of around a hundred thousand dollars. You know, you could take that job for that amount. Like you could walk in there and say, I'm good with that. You know what I mean? I, and if it's lower, cause then if the client, you know, if the client comes back or the hiring organization comes back and says, well, our top end is 90 or 95,000. Well, then you have a decision, but at least, you know, on, you've got them on record saying we could get you to 90 to 95,000 and then you need to make a decision. But I think the, the good news is I think the ping pong game of salary negotiation is really changing. Like, I think, I think those days are, are starting to go away, which is good. Um, I was just, I always, I just tell people be honest. And then, you know, because you don't want to necessarily take a job if you're used to making $150,000, that's paying 80. I mean, like you just, I mean, unless it, there's a desperate reason, but most times you're, I mean, you're probably not interested in that. So you just saying that or them, you know, you just asking up front, you know, what are you targeting with this? And they say, you know, well, we're, we're targeting a, you know, compensation of $80,000. You'd say, okay, well, I'm used to, you know, you know, I'm, this is where I've been and this is where I'm looking to be. And this is what I bring to your, you know, your, your bring to the table or bring to the organization. Then you put the onus back on them to say, all right, I want to continue talking to Dan or, yeah, you know what, we, as much as we love you, we just, I, I can't, I can't, you know, we can't, we don't have it in the budget. So we just move it forward from there. 
The other piece of your work is to work with those hiring organizations to identify candidates and to go find that pool of people to then take back to them. So the first piece of that is you got to go out and recruit a company to hire you to recruit for them. How does that process work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the main reason, you know, there's a couple of reasons, but the main reason that we're brought in to help an organization is, 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 is a couple. So the first is they don't have time. You know, I mean, they just don't have time. You know, I mean, they just, they're busy because the more time that a company spends recruiting for a position is more time that they're not spending doing their job, which is also the main revenue driver of why the company hired them. So if you go through this long process and you've, you've seen this, Pete, and you, you know, you probably talk to others, you know, as you go through that process and let's say it's a two to three month process and then you find out somebody didn't take it, not only have you wasted two to three months looking for a position, you know, looking for a candidate, but you've dedicated a lot of time and effort to those two to three months that could have been spent doing your job and helping grow your, your presence and your, uh, you know, your skills at the, at the company and the results uh, or your return, I guess, is the best way to put it. So, you know, the first is that just, they just don't have time. I have a lot of clients that just say, you know what, Dan, I am swamped with my projects. I just want you to completely take this off my plate take this off my plate for me. Um, another is, you know, and it kind of dovetails back to what I was saying about coaching and, and, and personal training is they just, what they've tried is not garnering the results that they need. Uh, you know, they've posted it on LinkedIn, they've posted it on work in sports, um, teamwork online, you know, indeed, you know, whatever the case may be. And they're, they're realizing I'm getting everybody who's applying that really, necessarily maybe not be the right fit for what we're looking for because they're active job seekers. And in most instances, what I bring to the table is I can access the passive job seekers or the hidden job market, as they call it in the, in HR, you know, the hidden job market, which are the people that, you know, that I know of that, you know, I know they want to dip their toe in the water, but they're not actively combing the job boards to see what's out there. So I have access to those pools of candidates that uh, an organization may not know. And then lastly, it's, it's just they want a diverse pool of candidates. They want to start, you know, kind of shaking the proverbial candidate tree in more than one place. And they just don't have the tentacles to do it, you know, and they don't have the manpower to, to do it. Um, they just don't have the time, you know, the people to, to reach out to these companies that, you know, can bring in a diverse, you know, diverse skill set of can or diverse background of candidates that an organization is looking for. So we can, we can provide that as well. So, you know, we'll reach out and ask about positions that are out there and, and, you know, and that become posted. So we'll see if there's a, an opportunity for us to help them as well as, you know, the relationships that we have so that when a position does come up, that they just know to reach out and say, Hey, Dan, we're going to have a, you know, a vice president of marketing or a director of PR, you know, we want to give you a heads up because we're going to need some help with that. Um, but on top of, you know, you know, coming back and re, you know, re kickstarting Ascension Sports Partners for the second iteration in the last year. So not only do I offer, you know, fully retained executive searches, but I also have, you know, created kind of a, an unbundled line of recruiting services, which, you know, just basically entails, you as a client, you may just need me to do a portion of the search for you. Hey, Dan, can you just get us 15 resume or 15 candidates that have some general interest that look good? We'll do all the rest from there. You know, what I mean, like, you know, do that screening or, hey, Dan, these are 10 candidates that came into us. Can you just come in and screen them and give us your thoughts on them? 
you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it, it doesn't have to be the, the whole soup to nuts bundle with it, but there may be an opportunity to help you out on just, maybe it's a quick, you know, quick turnaround, or you just need some, some just additional assistance is what I can do. And then, the, you know, one of the other things that I've started to offer up Pete is, is kind of a, an RPO, um, you know, kind of a recruitment outsourcing model to companies that maybe don't have an internal recruiter and they just, they need somebody to, you know, they're, they're going through a hiring, you know, kind of a hiring binge and they need to really ramp up quickly. Um, bring me on as your, you know, external recruiter, uh, you hire me on for a six month contract and I'll be act as your recruiting, you know, your recruiting, uh, manager for your internal team. And then you can let me go after that. So there's a couple different, uh, you know, variations that we can offer clients in the future as well. You mentioned the, the passive job secrets. How does that pool get developed for you? So that just comes from, um, building my network. And I, you know, I'm, I, there, I wish there was going to be a fancy answer to this, but it really is going to be very, it's going to be very vanilla. Um, you know, it's really building your network and just talking to people. When I read an article in sports business journal about an organization that does a great, you know, maybe had a great win or, you know, maybe brought on some new, you know, new partners. And I'm, I, I sit back and I look at my Rolodex and I'm like, you know, I really don't know anybody over there. So I'll start kind of poking around and, Hey, I just, you know, want to introduce myself. You know, I run a, you know, an executive search firm within sports and entertainment, came across your name, you know, if I can ever be of assistance in the future, please let me know. And then that may dovetail into some, some different conversations, but I, I have a lot of conversations right now with people who are happy in their job. Like they are really happy in their job, but they also, they don't want to become forgotten when it, the right job comes up. They don't want to miss out because their network doesn't know that they want to hear of these opportunities because it, and it's people who have been had success in an organization for three to five years. Um, they may feel like, Oh, you know, Dan Rosetti's a lifer there. Why would he, you know, why would you ever want to be interested in this job? And it's like, no, I, I, I want, I am happy at my job, but I want to hear about things because there may be something that is a little bit better. So, you know, reaching out and, and keeping in touch with those people. And I'm a big believer of, I'm going to let you, I'm always going to run opportunities by you. And, I'd rather you say no than for me to assume you wouldn't have interest in the job just because you never know when you're going to come across the right time because things change in our industry so fast. Six months ago, you might have said, Dan, I have no interest in this job. Well, you know what? You may have a new manager. You may have a new leadership team. You may have, you know, some things may be cooking in the organization where I reach out to you on that. And all of a sudden you're sitting there saying, hey, my situation's changed a little bit. I want to hear of some different things as they come up. Um, and you can, I, I'm never offended if you say no, um, but I at least wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you. So that time, and then that just ultimately, it's word of mouth and referrals of just kind of, hey, you know, I, you spoke with this individual, they had, you know, they, they had a great conversation with you, they thought I could be, of, you know, they thought you could be of some benefit to me as I'm looking out as well, and then I'll just start that conversation there too. You talked about doing some of the screening and, and assessing of candidates as they're applying for jobs on behalf of the company that's hired you. It also mentioned very early in our conversation, the word culture and how important that is. What do you need to do to kind of understand not only the, the role and the nuts and bolts of the job function, but also the culture that a company might be looking for so that you can give them the best possible pool of candidates from everybody who has applied? Yeah. You know, 
I think the easiest way is, I mean, you know, normally, and this isn't just, you know, specific to me, I'd love to say I take credit for this, but I mean, like the companies that I've worked with in the past, um, you know, within search and sports entertainment, we all kind of do the same thing, which is an, you know, initial kickoff call. And on that kickoff call, we really spend like half an hour to an hour learning about the culture of the organization, not only the nuts and bolts of the job and the responsibilities that come along with it, but we want to know you know, is this a new role? You know, what are you, what, you know, what are the traits that make someone successful at your company? What are the traits that somebody who doesn't have success at your company, what are they, you know, kind of, you know, what, what kind of, you know, traits do they exhibit? Um, what are the soft skills that make someone, you know, very successful here? Um, what's a day-to-day, you know, what's the day-to-day look like for this individual once they get hired? Um, you know, tell me about, you know, learning about your background. Um, what type of people do you look for? What type of people, you know, do you, do you like to have in your, you know, in your mix on your team. So we really try and spend a lot of time learning that. But then it's also, hey, is there anybody else on your team that we could talk with about the opportunity? So that we'll get a couple different perspectives within the organization that'll kind of frame how we can tell the story. Because, you know, we relay to the clients that hire us, look, a lot of times we have to headhunt. You know, I mean, I don't like the, you know, I think there's a lot of us in the industry don't like that term, but I mean, like, a lot of times we have to headhunt somebody to tell them why is this job better than the job they got now? And a lot of times it's not just money. It's not just, you know what I mean? Like it's not just title. It's I want a better situation for me. So we really need to know those things so that I can tell a story because essentially I am that organization's direct brand extension to the industry. Like I'm the one representing that client. And if I don't represent it correctly, then unfortunately, your view of that company is not seen correctly. So I really, truly need to understand the pitch that goes along with it of why X, Y, and Z is better than any other situation that somebody has got. So that, that's why I, I try not to always rush it with clients because I never want to get in a position where I'm like, oh, hold on, let me ask that question. Now I'll get back to you. Or, oh, wait, hold on, that's a good one too. Let me find out about that. So it may be a little tedious up front. But that's where we really act as more of a consultant and a partner than it is just very transactional. How much do you find it to be beneficial that you are kind of on both sides of this equation in working with job seekers on one side, but then also working with the hiring companies on the other side? It's hard. Uh, You know, I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's hard because we spend the most time talking to candidates and we become so invested with the candidates because ultimately, look, you're changing their lives. I mean, like you're changing their lives, their families' lives. I mean, like you, you're investing so much, but at the end of the day, the client's paying me. You know what I mean? The client's the one who's my client and they're the ones who ultimately do it. So it's a very fine line to represent both parties the best. Like, I mean, like it really is a, a tough job to represent the candidate's best interest, but also represent the client's best interest to find somebody because, you know, sometimes they don't line up. And you've got to kind of massage that to get them together. Um, and it's not, it sometimes isn't a, a one-time conversation. Sometimes it's a five, six, seven conversations that you're having back and forth. Um, but I do enjoy the balance between the two because I, I, you know, I wouldn't be in this role if I didn't love talking to people and love getting to know people and love getting to help people. Like I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in right now. The same is true on the client side. Like, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to help find a missing piece to their their corporate jigsaw puzzle. I mean, again, that's exciting to me too. Um, but you've got to just remember that, you know, really at the end of the day, 
the hiring organization is the one paying Ascension Sports Partners the bills. So I have to look out for their best interests, but just make sure that I'm, you know, I'm representing the candidates the best way too. So it's, it's, it's a tricky process. And I'm still, I'd love to tell you, I haven't nailed down hundred percent, but we're, we're, you know, I, I feel pretty good about it. So. Another piece of this business for you is having to just stay on top of trends. You talked about reading sports business journal, but as things develop, and a couple of recent examples, you know, esports has just exploded, or the way colleges have gone to this more uh, broader model with the Learfields and IMGs of the world getting more involved, or digital in general. How do you keep yourself fully abreast of all those changes so that you're able to service any client on either side who might be excelling in that space? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And back when we could go to conferences, um, you know, I used to always joke, you know, with, with people that I would see there because they would say, why are you here at the conference? And I would say, look, you know, first things first, I'm, I'm just there to meet everybody and, you know, everybody and anybody that I can in person and just kind of and get to know them. But I would pop in to different sessions because I want to sound intelligent. You know, like I want to sound, um, you know, when I first got into recruiting back after I graduated from, from Wittenberg university, um, you know, you don't go to school to become a recruiter. You know, you know, you just, you do, you know, there's no path to go get a degree in executive recruiting, but I got a, you know, I, I got a job offer with a, an IT recruiting and staffing company. I knew nothing about IT and information technology. I just, I just don't. And it's, but to this day, I can talk dangerously enough about it, but without really knowing the weeds. Um, and probably, you know, it's like people who say they have passing, you know, passing Spanish or passing French or, you know, in a language that, you know, hey, look, I know enough to be dangerous, but I want to show them, you know, when I would go to these, they would ask me in the conferences and I'd go into sessions and people would say, why are you in here? And it is, I want to, I want to show them that I'm, I'm, I'm invested in the organization in that niche of the business or that topic or that conversation more than just someone who's very transactional is just there to try and move people around and, you know, moving and shaking and trying to get things going. Like I really want to, cause I didn't, you know, like, you know, like a number of us in the industry, like, look, I didn't, I didn't get a degree in sports management. Um, I don't have a master's in sport management. You know, I have a traditional business management degree. So I, and I didn't grow up in sports and entertainment as far as from a business perspective, but I, you know, I had to learn the business. So I have to, I have to learn all the subtle nuances that go along with the business. Cause I can't talk like some of my competitors who have been in the industry for 20, 30 years being in the business. Like they worked for the teams, they work for agencies. They do, they've done some different things. I can't, I can't say that. So I've got, I've got, I've got already a, a knock, you know, kind of a notch down as opposed to some other people. So I've got to do my homework, but it's really coming across the latest trends. Um, esports, you know, I, you know, got involved with that a couple of years ago, um, learning enough to be dangerous, you know, I mean, to where we could do some, some searches and continue to try and learn more. My, my youngest daughter is she's on, you know, I, I think fortunately she's going to be my gamer. So she keeps me in the loop and she kind of, you know, she plays, you know, she's 10, you know, she plays all the traditional games of, you know, Roblox and Minecraft. And, um, you know, she's learning more and more as she wants to get involved. And I think it's great. And, you know, she kind of keeps me in the loop of, you know, what the, what, you know, what the cool kids say and what the you know younger generation says with that, but how big of a business it is and really kind of taking it to the next level. But, you know, NIL, as you mentioned, the college space, I've been trying to read up on the NIL, um, you know, with name, image and likeness, because that is going to take over and shift the NCAA presence 
forever. Uh, you know, I mean, either, you know, whether, you know, wherever you stand on good or bad, but it's going to, sh- it's going to shape the industry moving forward. And then the other one that, you know, it's, it's, it's come across my desk because obviously is gaming as far as not esports, but gambling, um, you know, and you just, you know, I read a, I think I read an article, was it New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Indiana? It was one of the States. I apologize. I just saw a quick tweet on it this morning, but um, like they did $500 million in sports betting last just last month i mean like that is a that is a game changer like that is an industry changing you know events that are taking place so i've got to try and become knowledgeable enough to learn about you know the different companies out there whether it's a points bet a fan duel a william hill you know what i mean like i gotta i gotta know enough that's going on because look i've got to adapt adjust and adapt just like everybody else to figure out if there's other niches for for dan rosetti to go after so I want to ask you a, a few rapid fire questions, but they're, they're pretty broad uh, just to give people a sense of things if they haven't necessarily been active in the, the job search marketplace. And I think the first question is, what is the state of the market? I mean, we have heard so many people furloughed and downsizing happening, accelerated by the pandemic. What is the state of the market now for job seekers in sports? You know, I would tell you that it's slowly getting better. I mean, look, the sports and entertainment industry is, you know, for better or worse, is going to be tied to attendance and fans attending events, you know, whether that's, an, a, you know, an, a, a tournament, whether that's a tennis tournament, like in, in your field, Pete, um, a golf tournament, NASCAR, football, NFL, soccer, but that also relates to concerts, you know, Live Nation and them being able to get concerts up and rolling again. So, I mean, as the industry changes a little bit and starts to kind of bring more and more f- folks back, jobs are going to start kind of coming more and more back. But I would tell you the wheels are turning. I mean, look, January, this first quarter has been busier than it was probably all of 2020. You know what I mean? Like, so Q1 um, is starting to kind of, you see more and more jobs. I talk to candidates, they see more and more jobs out there that are, are becoming available. Um, but also I've, I've advised, you know, and sorry to, I mean, kind of delve a little bit off topic here, but like, that's why I've told candidates, you've got to stay in touch with people and and just have these conversations because when you network with someone, you're essentially doing an informal interview. Like they're kind of, you know, when they open, they're open to talking with you, they are fair or unfair. They're kind of screening you, you know, they're kind of going, Mm -hmm. is Dan Rosetti somebody who fits our culture? Is Dan Rosetti someone who fits our vision? Okay. At the end of the conversation, I'm going to put you in this pile. And when we have a role that comes up, I'm going to go to that pile first because those are people that I've talked to over the last 12 months. Um, I've seen too many candidates that just kind of sat back and just wait are waiting versus look, you've got to take the bull by the horns and and really go after and and make you know make your presence known because the you know things are opening up and they're not going to necessarily want to once they get the green light to make a hire, they're not going to necessarily go okay. Now let's run a post and now let's go through a two to three month process because they know there's a lot of candidates out there. You know, the candidate pool is so deep and so broad right now. You know, 50% of the conversations I've had, Pete, over the last year have been with candidates that have been caught up in furloughs, you know, or pandemic layoffs. Uh, The other 50% are people who are, like I mentioned earlier, are currently working and are in good jobs. But they want us, they've had an epiphany over the last 12 months to where they want to start hearing of opportunities because maybe they're tired of where they are, or maybe they've got family, they've realized this pandemic, I want to be closer to my parents, I want to be closer to my family, I want to be closer to friends. They want to make those moves. So I mean, like the talent pool is so deep 
and it's going to be so aggressive that you've got to do everything you can to kind of stay on, you know, stay on top of the, on top of the, the, the pile. But you no, know, at, at the end of the day, things are trending in the right direction. I think it's the, is the best way to put it. So what are the skills outside of the technical facets of any particular job? What are the key skills that someone should be able to sell themselves on? Yeah. You know, I am a huge, um, you know, I'm a huge believer in soft skills. You know, I mean, soft skills are, you know, uh, you know, those skills that are just kind of not as tangible, but they are. Um, so, I mean, like to me, the biggest one that I come across and, and I did this and again, this was probably five years ago. I did a, uh, I did kind of an informal survey with, you know, about 250 top executives within the industry of, you know, kind of gave them about 12 soft skills and said, what are your most important ones? Like, what are the ones that stand out to you? And the bulk of them came back with uh, communication is number one. You have to be able to communicate. Like you just, you have to be nowadays. And that, and that's a broad scope of communication. Like that is able to communicate verbally, able to communicate in written form, in technical form, um, social media. Like you just, you have to be able to communicate and bring your ideas to the table. Um, and it's no longer good, you know, it's no longer good enough now to be the person who identifies a problem. They want problem solvers. You know what I mean? Like we need people who can come and say, not only is this a problem, but here's a solution that I think will work. It doesn't always need to be the, the, the right one, or it doesn't need to be the one that the organization goes with. I mean, that's great, but it doesn't have to be, but it just needs to show that you have that cognitive ability that you can come up with some ideas of how to solve a problem. Um, and then, you know, last, it's just, it's just teamwork. I mean, again, we're such a team-based organization. You have to be able to show that not only can you work with people within your department, but you can work across the board and work with different personalities and different skill sets. Um, because I mean, you know, you're a marketing PR guy, um, you know, there are different mentality than maybe the sales force or different than the operations team. You have to be able to work together to accomplish a goal. So those, I mean, those are a couple of the top ones that I would say. Obviously, it will vary a little bit depending on the role. But in general terms, how important is the right degree or the right, you know, master's degree or anything? Or is just having the right experience more important? You know, I'm a bigger believer in experience. Um, that's not to say a sports manager. You know, here's, here's the best way I explain it is if your goal and your vision is to truly 100% work in sports and entertainment, then getting a sports management degree, a master's in sports management is going to serve you well. If there is a, if there is an off chance that you may not see yourself working in sports and entertainment, that fortune 500 company probably isn't going to care as much about your sport management degree as it relates to a business degree. Uh, you know what I mean? Some other form of, 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 of uh, background that you may come to the table. I know a lot of people in our business that, that they don't have traditional sport management degrees. Like I know people who um, come from, you know, they may have uh, an English, you know, English literature, they may have political science, they may have, you know, a variety of backgrounds, but they're just able to make the transition. So, but at the end of the day, and I, I touched on earlier is how do you fix my problem? And if you have the skill set that can fix my problem, I don't care what your degree is. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just allows you to, to, to come in and, and, and be an asset to that, to that team. But, you know, a sport management degree is, is great because, you know, it is good because it'll, it gives you the, the basic fundamentals. Like you do understand it, 
But really, at the end of the day, like you've got to put those in action. I've spoken to a lot of sport management classes, and you know, there's a you know, there there's students always, and you probably speak to them as well. There's students always that whether you know they may be in sports management, but they just they don't have that that passion or that drive that's going to really kind of take it. So it really doesn't matter what their degree is because they're not going to put it into use, but it's certainly, you know, if you know that's your goal is to work in sports, it's never going to hurt you. You know what I mean? It's never going to hurt you to have that. But um, so, yeah. Before I get to the closing six pack of questions, how would people find you and connect and network with you? So one of the best ways, I mean, LinkedIn, uh, obviously we touched on it earlier. I mean, LinkedIn is the best way. I mean, I'm just, I'm always there. Um, I'm always checking it, my messages. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good about responding to everybody uh, on something. And if you are listening to this podcast and, you know, I just highly recommend that if you send me an invitation to connect and I'm open to connecting with a lot of people um, just mention that you listen to me on, on, uh, on, on Pete's podcast and, you know, on credentials only. And, and that way I, I, I kind of, I know where you're coming from and where it came from. Cause I get a lot of invitations that sometimes I'm like, who's, I, I don't know who this is. And I, I tell everybody, please feel free to send me an invitation, but sometimes it's just nice to know where they're coming from uh, on Twitter. I'm at D Rosetti 24. Um, you can find me. I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm not really, I, I do have an Instagram account. I'm not really on it as much just because for what I do, it's just not as, as crucial to my business, but you know, uh, usually, and then my website is just ascension-sports.net. Um, so you can find me and find out information and you can contact me there. All my, my contact information is on there also. I close every episode with the same half dozen questions for all of my guests. I call it the set pieces. Start with podcasts and newsletters that you use to stay informed and keep learning? Um, so newsletters, and again, I'm not going to sound too exciting here, but like it's the, it's pretty much the traditional ones that I read just because I've got, as I alluded to, I have, I have two younger daughters um, that are very active in sports. So they, when I do have time to read something, it's usually late at night or early in the morning. So I, I would love to read more, but, but you know, I typically read the, you know, sports business journal, front office sports, uh, sport techie, or, you know, kind of the sports ones that I come across from a non-business one. I, I do sign up for uh hard business review on uh, HBR and they have an actually uh, a separate kind of follow or a separate newsletter that's called ascend. And yeah, I wish I could take claim for that with Ascension, <laughs> but, um, and it's more career related. So, you know, if you see posts of mine from time to time, it's usually because I've read a very interesting article on the ascend newsletter that comes to me once a week and, you know, and I, I can move it forward from there. Podcasts, um, you know, just as, as we said, and I've, I've kind of found myself listening more and more just because, um, I've been driving more. So it's, it's a great way to kind of stay in touch, but obviously I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to butter up the host, but I do enjoy the credentials only podcast and the, and the, and the talent you've had on there. Um, Sportico puts out a, a great podcast. Um, Travis Apple, who's a former team executive has a, has one called 52 weeks of hustle. That is great. If you're a kind of a sales revenue driver, um, he does a great job of interviewing some great guests on there. Um, uh, you know, Bloomberg business of sports, um, Brett wise brought is, is kind of started, you know, I was on his podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's bringing in some, some different perspectives of he's got some players, he's got some, some business people. So it's a nice mix of, of folks that are on that as well. Those are the business ones. And then pop culture wise, um, 
I do listen to uh, Bill Simmons and the rewatchables. Uh, you know, I, I do because I'm just I'm, in, you know, well, you know, I, I love old movies. I love getting perspectives. I, I am a movie buff. And my, my daughter, my oldest one, has kind of decided she, she wants to be in the film business of, you know, directing and writing scripts and so forth. And um, so it's, it's funny to hear some of the movies that she's watching for the first time and hear them talk about them and kind of go back. And, and I just laugh. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good, uh, you know, kind of, you know, my non-business side podcast that I listen to. Who are your most valuable follows, the social media posts you do not want to miss? You know, I, um, I, I follow Mark Burns who's a writer for SBJ. I've known Mark for a long time, but he just, he seems to get some, some really good breaks and some good information that come across. Um, there's a, a Twitter handle, the gist USA, um, and it's G I S T. Um, it's good, solid sports business content. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's women owned and women run for all sports business. And I think they bring a very, uh, a great perspective to, to the industry and they've got great content on there. Uh, again, I listen to H, you know, I, I follow H, you know, Harvard business review, fast company, Forbes Inc. Um, I, I love being, I just love all business books and styles. And so I try not to just limit myself to just sports business. So I try and read some of those, um, outside of sports. And then for fun, I love, uh, I love the guys at, uh, at SEC shorts, uh, it's, uh, like the Southeastern conference shorts, they sum up growing up down South being a, a huge college football fan that I am, uh, to a T they nail each of the schools and each of the programs. I'm a huge college football guy. They just nail them to a T and it's just, it just makes me chuckle. So I always love seeing what they've come up with next. Um, I love, uh, I don't know if you know, JW Cannon, who, mm -hmm. you know, works for the American cancer society. Um, he's funny and he just, he's got good takes and he sometimes says the things that I would like to say, but he's bold enough to say them on Twitter that, you know, that, that comes out and says them. Um, and then I, I've got a, a good, uh, I know you had uh, Kevin DeShazo on, you know, not too mm -hmm. long ago, Kevin's got great content. And then there's a, uh, a good partner of mine that I actually work with once in a while from a leadership coaching. His name's Jeff Raker and he owns a, a company called level up leadership. Um, I follow him just because he's got some great one minute tips on just, leadership and just communication style and so forth that I always take something away from. What are a couple of books you'd recommend? Um, I just finished not too long ago, uh, a book called range by David Epstein. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard that one. Yep. Um, you know, it talks about why being a generalist is going to keep you at the top in a specialized world or kind of keep you in, in the conversation. And you being a, a tennis, a tennis guy, I found it fascinating. Just it had me on the hook when they broached the subject of Tiger Woods and Roger Federer um, of just, you know, how Tiger grew up with a golf club in his hands since he was born. And, you know, is arguably one of the greatest of all time. And Roger Federer played multiple sports up until he became a specialist in tennis in his, you know, it's kind of middle to late teenage years where he really kind of really started to focus in on and drill down on. And I think, you know, we're becoming a culture that you see it. And again, having daughters who play sports, there's such a, there's such a drive to specialize them so early on that it just makes me nervous. And I just, I love the, the framework about the range and it, it kind of ties into what I want to be, which is um, good or bad. And it may be my ultimate failure, but it could be a success too, is just being a little bit of, of everything to everyone and really trying to be able to be amenable to what people need. Um, uh, 
one of the, you know, a, a non kind of business related one that I'm, I'm halfway through, but I, I absolutely love it. And I touched on earlier about my, my, my love of films is uh, there's a book called best movie year ever. I don't know if you've seen that it's about the year 1999 and it talks about the movies that came out that year and just how it's shaped pop culture moving forward. And you go through the list as someone who's a little older, but even just a film fan, I mean, I'm just going to rattle off a, just a few of them, but when I mean, we're talking fight club office space, Matrix, Election, American Beauty, Blair Witch Project. I mean, like you go through the list of ones and they, they break each chapter down into each of these like, you know, kind of formative movies that kind of shaped, you know, movie the movie industry and just pop culture moving forward. And you're just like, oh my gosh, it's like the same. I think you could probably, someone could write the same as, you know, of 1985. I think it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, you know, Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and Ferris Bueller, and you could go through that list too, but um, that's a great book. And then I, I'm, I've started, but I haven't kind of, I haven't finished it yet, but I, I know all, I, I've enjoyed it so far, but I know all of it is uh, Marty Smith's autobiography called uh, Never Settle. Um, mm -hmm. I just, and again, maybe it's the growing up in Atlanta guy in me, but I can't get enough of him and Ryan McGee, uh, you know, and it's just, it takes a, it, it, you know, I just, I love his takes on just the significance of sports and, you know, how blessed he is to be around it and just how it can play in all our lives too. What would you consider your cheat code or your best life hack? I had to think about this one because I unfortunately don't have too many, um, which I think speaks more to me than it does, than it does to the, the life hack, Pete, um, that maybe I'm just too, you know, kind of bees headed to just think about something that's going to be a little quicker. Um, but the one I, as, as I was talking with my wife about this and she's like, Oh, well you used to do this. Cause she remembers the day. So in my first job out of school, as I, I, I kind of touched on earlier, I worked for an IT recruiting company and I had to wear a suit and tie every day. Like there was a suit and tie every day. And, you know, as a recent graduate, I didn't have a ton of money. And, you know, I mean, my salary was, it was not great. It was enough to pay the bills. Um, so you wear a suit and tie every day and you're walking on the concrete jungle and you're kind of, you're doing all this work, you scuff up your shoes quite a bit. And they were dress shoes. And not having money to buy dress shoes, I learned very early on that you should always keep a black permanent marker handy because I could always fix the sole of my shoes very quickly with a black permanent marker and be able to touch them up to make them look good enough until I was able to buy a new pair of shoes. So um, that would probably be the, the one that I remember the most. That's very, very good advice there. But what's your favorite sports memory as a kid? Um, I've got two that I, uh, that I really kind of just hold near and dear that just, I, I remember. And um, the first was, and it's one that you kind of, you hit on later the importance of being there, but um, I was fortunate to be at the final day of the masters in 1986 when wow. Jack Nicholas made uh, his famous charge and won his last masters victory. And, you know, at the time I just, it was a golf tournament and it was cool. I mean, I was, uh, I think I was 12 years old. Um, so I really, you know, I, I didn't recognize just the significance that went along with it. And, you know, we sat on, on 13 uh, with my parents and, and my brother and just really, truly it just the experience and hearing the roars when Jack was making, you know, birdie after birdie and, and making his run. I mean, it just, it was fascinating as I look back at that. And then the other one is, um, you know, and hopefully this doesn't look 
poorly on my parents, but they used to always take me out the opening, the opening rounds of the NCAA tournament as I was in middle school and high school, because they typically played, I grew up, as I mentioned, I grew up in Atlanta. They typically had opening rounds in the Omni uh, back, back in the day when it was the Omni. Um, they used to have the opening rounds there and my parents would take me out of school and we would go all day and we would be there and just, just the pageantry of the NCAA tournament, you know, rooting for the underdogs, the bands as a, as a middle school kid, it just, it was overwhelming and it just, it was very cool. And just, it's just something that you remember. And, and I was very fortunate. My, my, uh, my father, his company at the time, they just, they had tickets to almost all the teams and sports in, in Atlanta. So I just, I got to, to kind of be part of that and just to spend time with them and to share those memories. It was, it was pretty cool. Do you keep your credentials? And if so, where is that collection? <laughs> we joked about this earlier. And, you know, for those of you who are listening on online, if you just turned around, if you were in my office and you turned around behind me, you would see them all hanging up. Um, you know, I feel because, because I didn't always work in sports and entertainment, you know, some of the greatest memories that I had growing up as I, as I just touched on, were, were, were going to sporting events. And I just, I kept my tickets and I kept my credentials of where I would go. And I just, I always had them just in a, like a, a big box. Like I just, I always had them. And one day my wife looked at me and she's like, what are we going to do with all these? And I had the idea of kind of putting them, you know, putting them in 24 to 36 uh, inch frames and, and, and almost working them like a Tetris puzzle of being able to try and piecemeal them in different ways. So they would fill up the fill up, but you know, it just, it also is a, a humbling reminder of how lucky I am to work in an industry like this and to the events that I'm able to go to and the, you know, the, the things that I'm able to witness and be part of. I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate that, you know, I was, I was able to make the transition into sports and entertainment, you know, 16 and a half years ago. And, you know, I, I love, I love every minute. I love the people. I love the atmosphere. I love being around it. And it's just a, it's just a kind reminder that, you know, Hey, you know, this is what I get, you know, I get to do every day is talk sports and entertainment every day. So. And how many of those two by three frames do you have on the wall? Uh, six. So I have six or seven and I'm working on seven right now. And, you know, I mean, and that's honestly, that's not even all of the credentials for, you know I mean? Like that's what I can get in right now. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, again, I've been, you know, my, my wife, she just finished watching um, the 30 for 30 on Michael Jordan and the, you know, the last season. And um, she, she didn't even realize it, but I've got a ticket from when I saw him and Dominique Wilkins play in Atlanta. She And she just looked at me and she said, you got to see Michael Jordan play basketball. And I went, yeah, I was like, it was pretty cool. And, you know, I mean, like, it's just, those are things that are just are, 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 are great memories and um, you know, just are, are good talking points. And again, it just, it's, it's just humbling that I, I've been able to do all these things. And I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining me here on credentials only. Yeah, absolutely. Pete. Thanks a lot. So many great tips from Dan in this episode. I hope you found some to help you, whether you're an active or a passive job seeker. Many thanks to Dan for his time in recording this, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to follow Credentials Only, not only on LinkedIn, but also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you sign up for our mailing list on credentialsonly.com, we will slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. And if you were to follow Dan's advice and ask if there was anything you could do for me, I'd say please leave a rating review wherever you are listening. Big thanks to Mike Michet for his editing work on Credentials Only, which is a Holter Media production.